All right, we are going to continue today in our series entitled Questions. And uh, over the last several weeks, a lot of people have come up to me and said, man, uh, I've really been challenged by this. And I keep coming back to this thought. Every once in a while, you just have to get back to the basics. You just have to get back to what we know is fundamental to our faith. And uh, so we've been talking about some of these aspects of why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did you put your faith in him if you did? What, what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to know Jesus? What, why, why does that even change our lives? Or why should that change our lives? And as I'm thinking through these questions and some of the things that I think are important to me and I think are important to all of us, I think there's some things that kind of slip through the cracks from time to time. Things that we don't think about, things that we take for granted, things that we just don't, well, we just get busy in our day and what, what's going on and all the responsibilities and we just forget to take some time to think about. And so the question I want to ask today is, what is sin? What is sin? You say, well, duh, everybody knows what sin is, right? Everyone knows what it is, but do we really learn how to deal with it, which we're going to get into next week? But this morning, I want to just, just really come back to what is sin and how does it affect my relationship with God when it's present in my life? So for just a moment, I want to, I want to look at this question. Did I, did I put it back up there? I didn't yet. There we go. So <clears throat> in that concept of sin and knowing what it is, what, how do we deal with it? What does God think of it? So we're going to look at that. So in the Bible, there are numerous, in fact, I think over 40 different words that are sometimes and oftentimes translated as sin, as we would think of the word sin. Oftentimes when we think of sin, we think of something that it's something that other people do, like steal, cheat, lie, murder. I mean, that's what other people do. I mean, we're not guilty of those, right? I mean, I, nobody in this room would do those things, right? That's, that's what other people are guilty of, right? So when we think of the word sin, there are several key words that are often are general words that are used most frequently in Scripture. And that's all I'm going to look at. I know Greek language doesn't mean a hill of beans to most 98.9% .9 of you. I know you really don't care. But I'm going to give you seven words that are the most frequent and often used words that are translated sin in the Bible. And maybe it will begin to make sense for you because if we don't understand what sin is... We won't do any differently than allow sin to remain in our lives. And I think we have to understand it so that we can deal with it. The most common word for sin in the entire Bible is the word hamartia. That is the Greek word for sin. Hamartia. It's the most common one that's, that, that's translated sin in the entire Bible. It's used over 220 times throughout the New Testament alone. It is the most common word, and it simply means this. You probably heard this a thousand times. It means to miss the mark. And now I say, well, why is that important? Because every one of us has a, a, a goal, a focus, a desire that we have to live within, right? We, there's, a, there's a direction that we're trying to go, and it's like, yeah, there's that target. There's that focal point. There's that goal that we're trying to get at, and yet somehow... 
we end up to the right of it. Somehow we go a little bit high of it. Somehow we go to the lower left of it. You know, if you're if you're an outdoorsman at all, if you've ever been bow hunting, if you've ever been, you know, shooting with a rifle and a scope, I mean, you, you, the whole object is that you want to hit the center of the bullseye, right? The bottom line is, I mean, you got this big circle and you got this little spot in the center, and that's where you're aiming for. But no matter how hard we try, we oftentimes get all around the spot. We don't get the spot itself. And how do we get in the center of that spot? There's only one way, and it's by practice. I don't know about you, but that's just sometimes it takes time. The bottom line is it really does take time. And, and, and you know, I don't know about you, but if you're used to a scope, you, you say if, if, the, uh, if the bullet mark is outside the center bullseye, you chase it. You keep chasing it. And so you chase it a little higher, a little right, and, and, and you move it to, to match it. So finally you can shoot and it get right in the center of that bullseye. I don't know about you, but I've never picked up a rifle that had a scope on it and put a chambered a bullet and fired it and it got the bullseye the first time. It's never happened. You say, well, you ain't shooting right. Well, maybe that's the case and that could be some truth there. But I know that when you put a scope on a high-powered rifle, and I, got, I have one that uh, it will shoot out two, three hundred yards very easily. But it takes time to sight that in to get it right. You know what I found in walking with Jesus Christ? Sometimes it takes time. Why? Because we mess up. I know for me that when I'm laying down and I'm putting that scope out there and I'm doing it, if I'm breathing too heavy or if I'm getting a little bit of a shake in my arm, it's not going to go where it needs to go. So it takes practice. And it's the same thing with walking with Jesus. There are times you have every intention of doing what you're supposed to do. Every desire to do what you're supposed to do. But you're shooting a little bit right. Shooting a little bit left. A little bit high. A little bit low. And a result of it, it is this sin. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 21, there's a very familiar verse that says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, you know, here's the idea. We aim at God's best, but oftentimes we miss it. And he says, lay aside that. Because we want to be doing what God wants us to do. We want to walk the direction God wants us to walk. We want to look at the things that God wants us to look at. We want to respond the way God wants us to respond. But in our flesh, we fail. And that's just a general word that means to miss the mark. But what happens when you're out bow hunting or when you're out target practicing? You keep working on it until you get the bullseye. You don't stop. Oh, well, I'm a foot off. It's good enough, right? No. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm within two foot of the target. It'll be all right. No. Because anybody that knows how to hunt would say that would be unethical and it would not be good. I'm lucky if I'm out bow hunting in one season to take one shot. I'm the type of guy I want to take one shot and know it's going to be a deadly shot and it's done. I don't want to hit a deer in the back hind corner and let it run off for four or five miles and lose it. I want to do what's ethical and what's right. Why would we not want the same thing in our walk with God? If we're shooting to the side, get it over. If you know that you're doing things that are causing you to go off center and off target, do something about it. That's what God would have us to do. Is not just leave, oh well, it's good enough, it's big, it's, it's, it's well enough. No, it's not. And we're going to find that out as we go on. It's not good enough. But the most common word that is translated for sin in the Bible, it's a general word, is that word hamartia. And it means to miss the mark. The second word is the word hetema. And it's not as familiar a word, but yet it's common in the New Testament. It's just hetema. 
And the word hedema means not viewing as important the things that God deems important. It literally means to not view as important the things that God views important. So you ask yourself the question, what is important to God? What is important to God? And I think if we were to go around this room in the congregation and ask every one of you, name something that's important to God, every one of us in this room could give us an idea of what is important to God. And if we have a relationship with Him, what is important? Our communication. Asking, you know, taking the time for God to speak to us and for us to speak back to God, we know that that's important to God. And we should view that important because it's important to God. If sharing our faith is important to God, and remember we saw that in the first couple weeks, is that when Jesus came down to this earth in John chapter 3, in the earlier verse, Verses leading up to verse 16. He said he didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So if seeing the world was saved is important to God, should it not also be important to us, right? So if being kind to one another is important to Jesus, shouldn't that be important to us? The whole idea behind the word hetema is not viewing as important the things that God deems important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says this. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that go up to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? We should place emphasis on the things important to God. The reality is we will accept everything as just, oh, well, it's good enough. I mean, oh, well, I, I can get by with just this much. Let me ask you a question. Is it always enough just to do a little bit? No. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment, is every time you went to work and your employer says, hey, you know what, we have this expectation, we want you to do 200 pieces of work a day, but if you only get 75, it's okay, no big deal. How, how long do you think you'd be working there? See, the goals are there for a reason, to help us be productive and reach a better potential. Why is it any different than our walk with God? Why do we not deem as important those things that are important to God? And if we don't, God's Word says, it is sin. It is sin just to say, well, oh well, no big deal. It's good enough. It's not good enough. But oftentimes we have such a low standard of what we think is acceptable that we're okay with it. Shame on us. We need to have the same standard that God has. Number three, there's another one called paratoma. Paratoma. And if you can read my scribble, you're wonderful. Paratoma. So it means... In this aspect of sin in the New Testament, it's used quite often actually, it means uh, unintentional sin. Oftentimes it's very unintentional, but sin nonetheless. It has the idea of one who falls in an area of sin, but should have known better. Let me ask a question. Do we know better? We do. It has the idea that it wasn't really uh, intentional, but we have it happened. Uh, it's a general word. It says in Ephesians chapter one, and here's where it's used here. In Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, it says, "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins." This is the idea of things that we do that oh, we didn't maliciously do it. I mean, we didn't wake up in the morning and say, ha, "Today I'm going to steal something from my brother." You know, today I'm just going to tick somebody off and yell and scream at them, make them feel miserable. No, it's not an intentional thing where we wake up and we choose to do it. It's more the idea that, well, we should have known better, but we did it anyway. It was more unintentional. Um, it's the idea, if I could put it into a modern illustration, it's the idea that 
well, it's four in the morning, you're driving through the neighborhood, snow is coming down, and it's foggy, and you just can't see very good. And because of the, as a result of it, you're just going real slow, and you're meandering through the neighborhood, and, well, you bump that neighborhood, or that, 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 that fellow's mailbox, and it fell over, but you just keep going. I mean, you didn't, you didn't plan to say, well, <laughs> there's a mailbox, oh, I'm going to nail it over, right? No, it was an accident. You didn't mean to do it, but nonetheless, you did it, and you chose just to keep on going. That's this word, peritoma. Now, I wonder how often in our lives does that aspect of sin slip into our day-to-day -day living? We, uh, just for a moment, and I think this is probably the most common, at least in my home. We say something without really thinking through what you're going to say. You, you kind of reacted rather than thinking through what you should have said. But just off the cuff, something happened and you, you blurted something out. There was no forethought. You didn't really mean to say it once it came out, but you didn't, can't take it back and retract it. It was said, and you kind of move on. Folks, that's paratoma. You didn't set out to do it, but it happened. You should have known better, but you acted unwisely anyway. And I think these are the things that happen in our day-to-day -day living every day. Well, there's another one. This one's a little bit bigger. Ag, no, ima. You can scribble that one out there. And this is Hebrews 9.27. So, this is ignorance over what one should have known. So, let me ask, let me share an illustration that just happened yesterday with a friend of mine. A friend of mine went down to Brooklyn to visit some friends. Actually, he was in Long Island for a little while, and then he went over to Brooklyn. He wanted to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge, and uh, I didn't even know this, but it is a reality. It is something that is true from what I understand. But he parked his vehicle in an area of Brooklyn because, well, first of all, it's a big vehicle and there was room for it. And he said, I made sure that there was all kinds of change inside the meters. And he said, I made sure it wasn't going to expire in the amount of time that it was gone. And he said, I came back and there was a ticket on his windshield. And he said, immediately, he goes, I'm getting irritated. He goes, I know there's enough money in there. He goes, I wasn't gone that long. And he walks over to his truck and he looks at it. And he, doesn't know, and he still doesn't understand what the ticket is for. Because it's not for the meter that ran out because it never ran out. And so he calls the number on the bottom of it, and the guy tells him, he says, Sir, do you have commercial plates on your vehicle? He goes, well, yes. He goes, sir, do you have the name of your company on the side of your vehicle? He goes, well, no, why do I have to have that? He says, in New York, in Brooklyn, if you have a commercial license plate, you have to have your name of your company on the side of your vehicle. He goes, well, how am I supposed to know that? He goes, I'm not from Brooklyn. He goes, are you in Brooklyn? Yeah. He goes, good, you have no excuse. <laughs> Ignorance is no excuse, is what the gentleman was saying. So just because you didn't know you were doing something, doesn't make it right that you did it sometimes. That's the word agnoema. Ignorance over what one should have known, but didn't. And I think oftentimes, People use this as a way to get out of a jam that they get in. Well, I didn't know. Well, maybe you should have done some research. Maybe you should have gotten in God's Word a little bit more.
But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7 says, But into the second part the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. Why? Because there is a reality that people do things and they don't even realize that they're doing it. And can I just say this? There are times that we need to pray as the psalmist prayed, Lord, search me and try me. And what? See if there's any wicked way in me. Because there may be some things that you're dealing with that you didn't even realize was there. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to somebody at Men's Bible Study the other night. Um, and I said, you know, I don't remember... Growing up, my dad ever saying, I love you. I don't remember my dad saying, I'm sorry. There are certain things that I don't remember. There's certain things I do remember, but certain things I don't remember. And all of a sudden, a few years ago, I went to this conference, and this counselor was up there sharing some things. And, you know, some of you guys are ticked off and holding grudges against things that you don't even realize. And I'm like, that doesn't make no sense. I ain't one of those psychobabble things, but this makes zero sense to me. And all of a sudden, we're talking afterwards, and it's like, oh, dude, you are really ticked off at your dad for these things. I'm like, I'm not ticked off. He goes, yeah, you are. And I started thinking about it, and you're, you're upset that you've never had, I mean, has your dad ever done wrong against you? I'm like, well, yeah, but he's never apologized. Right. And that doesn't bother you? He goes, yeah, it bothers me. It's not, well, okay, maybe I am ticked off. <laughs> but, you know, there are things that we allow into our lives that becomes sin in our lives if we don't deal with them. So we need to make sure that we're on top of those things. Lord, search me and try me. And Lord, if there's anything in my life that I've not made right, several years ago as a freshman in Bible college, you're talking almost 30 years ago, I don't even know, somewhere in there, 30 years ago, took this class, study of prayer, and Dr. Vaughn asked us to grab a blank sheet of paper and just get alone with God and say, Lord, is there any sin in my life I've not dealt with? Once again, stupid Ken, ignorant as he is, give me a break. So I'm just going to take this piece of paper, go get alone with God, and he's just going to fill it. Right. I know how this is going to work. So, because it's an assignment, I want to make sure I get my assignments done. I grab a notebook. I go out of my dorm room and go down across the soccer field to the other end where nobody is. And I say, Lord, is there anything in my life that whereby I've sinned against somebody, I've sinned and not made it right, I've, I just any areas of sin that I've never dealt with, would you just show them to me? Oh, Lord, I hate to admit it. Remember so-and-so and you said this? Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. When I was done, I literally had a page of paper, every line. Things that God had revealed to me, things that I had done that I never took care of. That later on that night, I got on the phone and called some people. I got out a piece of paper and wrote some people. But I wanted nothing to hinder my walk with God. Lord, search me and try me. I challenge you to do that. Just get along with God and say, Lord, is there any sin in my life that I've not dealt with? Anybody that I've offended and sinned against that I've not made right? Anything that I should have done that I should have known better and didn't pay attention to it. God, would you reveal it? It's amazing what God will do if you ask him to. There are other words that are a little more obvious to most of us as far as their usefulness. Pericoe. Second Corinthians 10, 5, and 6. This 
Parakoe is to refuse to hear or heed God's word. It's really rebelliousness and flat-out disobedience. You know you should do something, and you are willfully choosing not to do it. Hmm. So let's get back to the basics, since this whole series is about getting back to the basics, right? Should you have a walk with God if you claim to know Him as your Savior? Yes. Yes. So in that walk with God, shouldn't your communication be important? Yes. When's the last time we just took some time reading God's Word? Let's be honest. When's the last time you opened God's Word and said, God, speak to me? And then based off what He has shared with you, Lord, help me to obey this. Lord, help me to have faith in this area. God, help me to learn from His example. God, help me to, to do, uh, do as I ought to based off this text of Scripture and communicating with God. When's the last time we've done that? To refuse to heed God's Word is sin. That's that parapoete. It means to flat out rebel. I know I should do this, but I choose not to. Or once again, getting back to the basics, I know I should share my faith. I mean, I've been given the greatest gift known to man. If I know Jesus, I, I'm, 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 my home is in heaven one day when I die, and I know that that should be important, but eh. I ask a question. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody, anybody, and said, hey, I know you're going through a rough day. Can I share something with you? It might give you some hope. We know we should, yet we choose not to do it. That's parakoe. We know we should do it, but we're choosing to rebel and to disobey. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and 6, it says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I am a master, a master at rationalizing, justifying, excusing, why I don't do the things that I should. Maybe you're a master too. Paracoete. You're choosing not to do the things that you know you should do. And then he says, in that same verse, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience with your obedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. Bringing every thought into captivity. Do we think before we act? Goodness, we're living in a generation that does not do that. Let's just tear down statues because, well, it's a statue. If you knew anything about that statue, you'd be appreciative of it. Let's just act without any rational objective. Think before you act. Think before you speak. Bringing every thought into captivity. Are we willing to do that? Or how about this one? Para basis. Like I said, yeah, I know you don't give a flying flip about the, the Greek language, but you're going to learn a little bit. Hebrews 2.2. 2. You know what this word means? To intentionally cross the line. To intentionally cross the line. So I know we have some hunters in here this morning. This is bow hunting season. And as I've shared many times... There is one sign that hunters despise. No trespassing. I mean, because you know all the big deer are on that side of the property line. I mean, I, where I lived in northern Indiana, I had a guy in my church that had hundreds of acres. 
He showed me what the property boundaries were. I could go all the way this way to this property line. I could go all the way deep back to the river. And on this I could go all the way back over here to this tree line. I had all kinds of land that I could use. And as I'm out walking around in the whole property and scouting where it might be a great spot to set up my stand and, and to park myself to get a deer. But you know, all the deer are just on the other side of that property line. But the funny thing is that everybody on that side of the property line thinks they're on this side. But it means to cross the line intentionally. I don't think there's a person in here who's ever stole something that just didn't stop for a minute. I wonder if I should really take this. And we start the rationalize the rational process of, oh well, there's a bunch of them. Nobody will miss it. He's got enough of them. It ain't gonna matter. And we start to rationalize excuse justify why it's okay to take something that's not ours. He won't miss it. Won't bother him. Even if I did ask him, he'd probably just give it to me anyway. But we intentionally cross a line. I wonder how often we do that in our day-to-day -day living. One more. There's actually two of them here that are almost the same. Anonymia and para-anonymia. Can you spell it? So that word there, those words, means lawlessness or willfully breaking God's law. Willfully breaking God's law. And I think about God's law. Let me just give you the most common one. You know what these are. The Ten Commandments. And by the way, you say, are, are we under the Ten No, No, we're not under the law. Remember, the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to grace. We see that in Galatians, right? But every one of the laws that are mentioned in the Old Testament, in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, are reiterated and repurposed in the New Testament. So let's just ask ourselves, you shall have no other gods before me. No idols. No idolatry. You say, well, I don't have any idols in my house. I have no, uh, there's no other gods. I mean, I'm not, I'm not involved with that, Pastor. We don't have any shrines in my house. I'm not bound down to anything. I, I, I don't have to deal with that one. Remember, what's the definition of an idol? Anything that we give more time and attention and focus to has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. If you are giving more time and attention and energy and focus to your job, your job may be an idol. If you're giving more time and attention and energy and consideration to your hobbies, they may be an idol in your life. If you're giving more time, attention, and focus to a girlfriend or boyfriend more than your relationship with God, they may be an idol in your life. Anything that we give more time and attention and energy has the potential of being an idol in our life. So from that standpoint, from that perspective, do you have any idols in your life? Anything that you're giving more time and attention and energy to than you are God? That has a potential of being an idol in your life. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Or you shall make no idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Oh my goodness. How often does it just slip? You're with somebody and it just spurts out. And you're like, whoa, didn't know that they had that language. How often does it just happen? Because we don't think before we speak. Or... Keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, there's a hard one. We don't like to talk about that one. I mean, because it's just another day to work, another day to get projects done. 
How many of you have noticed a marked a, a mark shift in how we give one day to God over the last 30 years? Anybody notice that? Yeah. I remember when I was in junior high, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, can I go to the mall? He goes, no. I said, why not? He goes, it's Sunday. I said, so? No, we're going to take it easy today. We're going to rest. Why? Because I said so. That was the first answer. Then, secondarily, you know. But it was always the idea of, like, everything was closed down on Sundays. Remember that? Remember when it was actually everything closed down on Sundays? Not no more. Except Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. I mean, that's the only ones. Because <laughs> they're the Christian, Christianese stores. But everyone else, good luck. Everything's open now. Because we don't have a Sabbath day to where we work hard, rest, and take a day to honor the Lord. Those days are almost over. Or how about this one, parents, children? Honor your father and your mother. And what does Ephesians say? For this is the first commandment given with promise, that your days may be long upon the earth. Do we honor our father and mother, children, teenagers, young adults? Do we honor? Remember what the word honor means? To give value to. We give value to what they say because their experiences are valuable. What they have learned and what they are trying to teach us is valuable. What they have gone through in their past, the hardships and the, and the experiences that we may never see are worth something. And we place value upon it. Because that's what God's word says to do. Do we honor what our parents say? He says, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. You say, well, that's easy. I haven't done that yet. Thank God. You should not commit adultery. And by the way, let's go back to thou shalt not murder. God's word says if you even have hatred in your heart towards someone, it says what? Oh, it's a little quiet in here. Yes, because I think there may be some people that we just don't have a whole lot of love for. You should not commit adultery. He that looketh with intent in his heart. Ouch. You should not steal. Thou should not bear false witness or lie against your neighbor. Number 10, I'm sure there's nobody in this entire room that would have a problem with number 10. Thou shalt not covet. I know y'all don't want anything you don't have. You've never struggled with that one before. But once again, we willfully, anonima and para anonymia, we willfully cross the written line, the written word of God intentionally. Why? Because we want to. So when it comes to generally speaking, all these words that generally mean to miss the mark, what is true in our lives? We miss the mark of God's perfection and expectation so easily and so often. How often do we not place importance on the things that God deems important? How often do we pray and say, search me and try me and see if there be any, any wicked way in me? Are there anything in my, is there anything in my life that I've not made right with God and God reveal it so that I can make it right? How often do we ignorantly do those things because we're in a coast mode or simply not thinking through what we're doing before we do them? There's no thinking before our acting. How often do we refuse to do what we know we should do? Or how often do we knowingly do that which we should not do and willfully sin? How often do we just not care about the sins that we've committed? So it brings me to this next question. How 
does sin affect me? How does sin affect my life? I'm going to give you four or five scriptures I want you to really think about. Psalm 66, 18 is the first one. If you don't know this, you should mark this in your Bibles, folks. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You say, well, sin's not that big a deal. It is absolutely a big deal. It is absolutely a big deal for one reason. It's because God died on the cross when he sent his son to die on the cross and shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sins. Sin is a big deal. That's why we are, we should have the mindset that we want to deal with it. But so I remember hearing this principle when I was just a young man. And I remember thinking, I don't want anything to hinder my prayer life. How many of you would say that would be true for me? I don't want anything to hinder my walk with God in my prayer life. Raise your hand. Right. We want God to hear us, right? But when we have sin in our lives that we choose not to deal with, it's as though we're praying and it's just hitting a wall and going down. God is up here and we're just hitting this wall and praying until we're willing to deal with our issues of sin. God says, I'm not even going to listen to you. Why, why in the world should I listen to your prayer when you have sin in your life and you're choosing not to deal with it? That's how serious God looks at it. He says, if I regard, in other words, that word regard has the idea of keeping sin in. I know, it's a, I know it's there, but it's not that big a deal. It's not bothering anyone. It's only affecting me. No one else knows about it. They can just, you know, no big deal. That's the sin that God says, you've got to deal with it. Because as long as you don't, I choose not to bless you. I choose not to answer your prayer request until you're willing to deal with those issues of sin. It's a big deal. He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I want God to hear all my prayers. And to work and to bless and to answer according to His will. So I have to be willing to say, God, forgive me. This area of sinfulness I've been holding on to. This area of grudge against so-and-so and this hatred towards so-and-so and this bitterness towards so-and-so and this anger towards so-and-so. God, if, I, if you don't deal with it, it's going to affect your walk with God and His desire to listen to your prayer. You have to deal with it. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, it's another important verse to consider in our walk with God. It says, He who covers his sins will not prosper. I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone that doesn't, that doesn't want to prosper in their walk with God. Right? We want to have a life that has God's blessing on it. We want to have a life that God says, my hand is on you and it's obvious to all, right? We want God's blessing and His prosperity in our lives. But He says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. But He says, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I want God's mercy. I want God's blessing. You can't cover your sin. Let me just say this too, and you know this. You've heard me say this a hundred times over the years. God's Word tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, All things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do. In other words, there's nothing you can hide from God, right? You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your children. You can hide it from your employer. Hide it from your neighbor. You can hide it from your friends. You can hide it from your relatives. But you cannot hide it from God, right? In fact, Psalm 139 says, No matter where I go on this earth, it says, Behold, God is there. You think you're hiding it? Think again. God knows it. God sees it. And he who covers his sins will not prosper. Here's another one that I think all of us need to consider. Isaiah 59, 
And verse 2 says this, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Two things that sin does in our lives, if we choose not to deal with sin, is that it separates us from God, and He hides His face from us, so that He will not hear us. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty harsh, right? I mean, not a God who loves us, who sent His Son to die on a cross. I mean, God is so loving, He would never do that. Look at God's Word. Look what it says. It says, your iniquities, your sinfulness have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. He says, sin separates. If you ever have a reason to deal with sin, it's because I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to do anything that would really bring upon a, a forfeiture of blessing. Let me give you one more. Romans 6.23 You've heard this one before. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, the penalty, the due recompense, what you deserve for your sin is death. Now let me just say, that word death is not physical death, but a spiritual death. It's the death that separates us from God. In fact, in James chapter 1, it says, then, when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I mean, think about that. Sin brings forth death. Eternal separation from God. See, was that really a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. The bottom line is, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Psalm 51. I want you to bring your, turn your Bible to Psalm 51 for a moment. We're almost through. I promise you. Psalm 51. Get some ideas of what sin is, but what does sin do? Look at Psalm 51 as David conveys how his sin affected him. Here King David opened up his heart and shared the devastating results of his sin with Bathsheba. The consequences of his sins that he shared are just as real and painful today as they were thousands of years ago. Let me give you a handful of things that sin did in the life of David. In fact, first one is Psalm 51 in verse 2. It says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Why did he ask to be washed thoroughly? Number one, sin dirties the soul. Sin dirties the soul. You say, oh, is that, that sounds really awful. Yeah. It's because sin is really awful. And there was no reason for him to have said, wash me thoroughly and cleanse me if he didn't feel a dirtiness inside. I don't know anyone who's ever come to me and said, Pastor, pray for me. I've got this addiction. Who didn't feel dirty inside because of it. Whether it's pornography or alcoholism or drugs or anything. When they submit and when they give in to that sin in their life, they feel dirty and worthless inside. Why? Because there's a guilt that's associated with it. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it and I'm hearing it back again, floundering in my sin. Sin dirties the soul. Look at verses 8 and 10. 
Psalm 51 verse 8 says, Make me hear joy and gladness. The bones you have broken may rejoice. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Number two, sin robs you of your joy. He says, Make me to know joy and gladness again. Sin robs us of our joy. God wants you to have joy. There are times when you're meeting with somebody and they're in your office and they're talking with you and you know the joy is just gone. You know because they've confessed that they're dealing with an area of sinfulness. And what they need to come back to is Psalm 51. And just plead their case before God. God, renew a right spirit within me. Restore in me the joy of my salvation. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. But sin robs you of your joy. Not only that, sin weakens the body. Boy, how many times did he say in here, where he felt his bones had just felt weak. And he said, I need your strength. Because verses 10 and 11. Verse 11. Or 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Sin robs the spirit of purpose. He says, I don't want your spirit to leave me. I want you to be present with me. Look at verse 15. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. What's he saying here? Open something that was seemingly shut or closed. He says, O oh Lord, open thou my lips, so that he begin to praise once again. And then verse 11 is another one. Do not cast me away from your presence. So what's the presupposition here? Sin, once again, separates us. He says, don't cast me away. Why? Because sin separates. We saw that already. Cast me not away from your presence. I don't know about you, but when I look at all these things, sin becomes a real big deal in our lives. Sin becomes something that you and I should deal with. Sin becomes something that really all of a sudden begins to take on weight. And we can't just like say, well, it's no big deal. So the once again, we get back to all these areas of sinfulness. We've missed the mark. We know we're missing the mark. We don't deem as important the things that God deems important. We cross the line knowingly. Even in ignorance, sometimes we do those things and we, we just don't worry about it. So here's the question this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about what is repentance. What is from God's word? What's the difference between repentance and remorse? Bottom line is next week, we're going to deal with true repentance. But today... Maybe God has showed you that there's an area of sinfulness in your life that you've not made right. Can I just say, in a nutshell, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is there for us. He loves us so much. Think about this. He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross. Why? So that He could shed His blood and that through that shed blood we can have forgiveness of sins. That's how much He thought about our sinfulness. That He made a way to be redeemed from it. And if you're sitting here this morning and say, well, there's some areas of sinfulness I just have not dealt with, it's time to deal with it. Don't put it off. In fact, you know, the result of putting it off is that God will choose not to listen to our prayers. 
He'll choose to forfeit or, or to remove his blessing from our life. He will choose to disregard our times of prayer until we are willing to repent of our sins. But the beauty of it is that when we repent and confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And Isaiah reminds us, as though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be what? White as wool. The beauty of it is that I don't care what sinfulness is in your life. I don't care what it is. You and God know what they are. He says, I can forgive you of that if you're willing to repent. The question is, are you willing to repent of it? And as David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we know that generally speaking that sin simply means to miss the mark of your perfection. Lord, we know that Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short. Every one of us, God, are sinners. But what we do with that sin from day to day, Lord, is important. We can acknowledge it, or we can and deal with it, or we can just know it's there and not do anything with it. And both have consequences. And I ask God that you would help us to be honest with our with ourselves, Lord, and to be willing to do what you ask us to do in response to it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a moment, as God's people are praying. Every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Every week we have an opportunity to say, hey, what does that message mean for me? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, well, hey, Pastor Ken, there's some areas of sin I've not dealt with. Things that I know I shouldn't do that I do, some things that I am not doing that I should do, or maybe some areas that I've willfully sinned and crossed the line. And generally speaking, maybe just some things that I just don't put my heart into it. There's things that God expects and I just don't care. But nonetheless, there's areas of sinfulness. And God has challenged me about that today. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. Can I challenge those of you who have lifted your hand towards the Lord, towards the heart, towards Him? Just deal with it. Just deal with it. Between you and God, deal with it. Simple prayer. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I repent of and fill in the blank. You know what it is. You and God know what those things are. You and God know what those areas of sinfulness are that you are choosing not to deal with. Those areas that he's convicted you of. But know this, when you repent and confess him, he will forgive. Lord God, be with each one who raised their hand and heart towards you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word, how it teaches us and convicts us, Lord, of the things that we need to know so that we can walk in fellowship with you. Lord, it's a hard message, to, Lord, to realize that, Lord, our sinfulness separates us from you. Our sinfulness separates your blessing from us. An unwillingness to even listen to us, Lord, when we are unwilling to repent. God, that's harsh, but it's reality. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us, Lord, would be willing to deal with issues of sinfulness in our life. And God, for each one who raised their hand, I pray you give them victory this week. Lord, might they see that you're at work in their lives, that you are a God who truly loves each and every one of us so much. I pray, Lord, that you give victory this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.